Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. night at the sports bar downstairs in my hotel, Danielle gets carrot cake. How ironic. You know, today is actually National Carrot Cake Day, and Lloyd's makes a great carrot cake in the Bronx. National Carrot Cake Day today. I mean, we don't know what the hell to celebrate, but we are just, it's beyond silly. And uh, my next guest is not going to like what I have to say, and that's fine, but I'm on record saying it with Janine Butler earlier. These month-long events are way too much. Gay Pride, Black History Month. Do it in a day. One day, great. Blacks, Jews, gays, everybody, fantastic. One month is a bit much. But I will say this. This is a guy that deserves to be celebrated because it's an amazing story, Bruce Jackson's story. And his new book, Never Far From Home, his first book, I should say, is out. And a story about a kid that was arrested at 10 years old that made his way all the way to the top of Microsoft. Pretty intense. I went to the uh, Nets game last week. I was invited by Anthony Caron. I love the Carones, Frank and Anthony. And he took me, Danielle and Gabe, to the game and spent a lot of time in the box talking about Bruce. And I said, sure, I'd love to put him on. So here he is making his debut on Sid and Friends in the morning, Bruce Jackson. Mr. Jackson, good morning. How are you, pal? Good morning, Sid. I'm doing very well. I certainly appreciate the opportunity that you extended to me to be on your show. No, of How course. How are you doing? I'm doing great. You've got a um, pretty amazing story. I mean, I know the arrested at 10 years old and growing up in a, in a rough section in Brooklyn. And you know how it goes. Your kids, I don't care what color you are, 10 years old, you're arrested. Uh, you know, oh, this guy's never going to be anything. And you've gone on to just incredible heights from the hip-hop industry to, to Microsoft, so I'll ask you this before we talk detail, Bruce Jackson. What is it in you? Was it instilled in you? Were you born with it? What is it in you that you went from one stage that looked so bleak to where you are today? I mean, Sid, you know, when you grow up in inner city in Brooklyn or any inner city, you always have one foot in and one foot out. And I think I was that was me as a young person. I think the turnaround point really for me came and this is probably the motivation that kept me on a straight course is when I was in college, right? Uh, I was wanting to drop out after the summer program, before the summer program, two weeks in. And I had to call my mother and my aunt to get approval. And my mother, being a loving mother, said, if you're in that much pain, come home. And my aunt, I had to call her, and she basically said, Bruce, you're coming home to what? You're coming mm-hmm. home to go back to live in a project? And I said, I don't know. She said, you're coming home to go work and chase, which is what I did in the mailroom. And I said, I don't know. And then she paused and she said, Bruce, you can't come home because you're not doing it for yourself. You're doing it for your grandmother who had to pick cotton and couldn't look white folks in the face and said, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, no, sir. And you're doing it for me. I had to do the same thing. And you're doing it for your mother who picked cotton. And more importantly, you're doing it for the generations of Jackson's who never went to college, and you're going to be the first. And so you're doing it for all of us in the generations past, and you are meant to inspire the generations going forward. And she hung up. 
And at that point, I realized that my mission was bigger than me. <laughs> it wow. was for mm. the next generations of my family and also my purpose to, to be to inspire the rest of the world, right, to achieve their greatness. That is, uh, that's quite a phone call. What college was this, Bruce? That was right on Long Island, Hofstra University. Hofstra, okay. Now, uh, we, do you mind discussing the details? What were you arrested for when you were 10 years old? Well, when I was 10 years old, what happened was we lived in pre-gentrified Crown Heights, and we moved at that point to the housing projects in Manhattan, Amsterdam Houses, right across from Lincoln Center. So my entire family still lived in Brooklyn. So my mother trained us how to travel by train immediately. So I would take that trip. I probably took that trip a dozen times before this event happened. So after school in Manhattan, after playing with my friends, I said, I'll leave at 5, get to my grandmother's house at 6 for dinner. So I boarded the A train at that point going to Ralph Avenue. So you had to take the A train to Utica and then switch over and catch the two train, the the, the C train, which is a local to Ralph Avenue. So once I got off at the Utica Avenue train station, I – to go take the local train one stop. I You hear things all the time. If you're a New Yorker like you are, you hear things all the time and you don't pay attention. So I heard someone said, that's him, but I didn't pay attention. But I heard it again and I looked and my eyes locked with the police officer at that point. And then the person was saying, go get him while you stand. The police officer started to walk in my direction. And what I immediately did was run to the front of the train mm-hmm. that was stopped. The local train jumped on the track and step over the dirt rail, then got on the edge of the platform in the tunnel to proceed to run in the tunnel to the next stop, which is Ralph Avenue. So I did that, but, you know, in the trains, they always have these exit signs, so I thought I could make it escape to freedom and get to the streets, but I couldn't really lift up the wooden uh, the right. steel door. But, but the point here is that you didn't do anything illegal. That, that You were pointed out you were innocent. You ran because you got nervous. Uh, look, they're pointing at me. They're coming after me. But the story, you didn't do anything illegal, right? No, I didn't do anything illegal. It right. was proven that. Right. right? Okay. So they locked me up, took me to the precinct, 77 yeah. precinct. What yeah. they tried to do was to tell me to admit that I did the crime. You you stole something from someone. We saw you. Just admit it yeah. and go home. Well, this and goes I didn't, back. I didn't admit it. No, I know. This goes back to a conversation I had earlier with Jania Taylor. I know you've got history in the hip-hop world as well. I think it's kind of funny that... One of the things that was sent to me, becoming one of the first black entertainment lawyers, you see, we can do things outside of basketball and hip-hop, which is kind of funny. But it goes back to a conversation I had with her, which is she contends that uh, black people are hunted in this country. I find that to be ridiculous, and there's no statistical proof. But I can tell you this, uh, that uh, for a very, very small percentage of the people in this country, the black community commits more than half the crime. So when Bruce Jackson, who's a nice kid, innocent kid, good kid, gets stopped by the cops, odds are, Bruce, it's not because the cops are racist. It's because there was a crime committed by a black person, and there you are in the same vicinity. And I think we have to be very careful of demonizing and labeling police as racist when statistics say that maybe not in Bruce Jackson's case, but in some of these cases— you got to understand why they're stopping some of these kids. Right, but some of it is, well, let me tell you something. That's, I, I can go and tell you that as an attorney at Microsoft who had closed a $100 million deal and billion-dollar deals. In fact, the same day that I closed a $100 million deal for Microsoft, we had a celebration in the office. I went back to my community to celebrate with my friends. Yeah. 
And at that point, once I got back there, I was arrested as an attorney, a black attorney. Why? Who just closed a $100 million ticket. And what they arrested me for, they said, well, something's showing up on your license. And they didn't tell me right away. So ultimately what I found out was my brother got a ticket that I didn't know about. Mm-hmm. And ordinarily in those situations, what police officers do, and I have a lot of friends who are judges and lawyers, they said, why would they arrest you? They shouldn't. They just gave you a disappearance ticket at that point. And right. they wouldn't ordinarily do that for someone who wasn't black. So True. I think there is some okay. sort of biases, regardless of what you're saying, that we have to actually acknowledge, right? No, I think there is. I, look, look, I, look I, I've got a nephew in Atlanta, Bruce, and um, he's a great kid. He's a star quarterback on his football team. He's a straight-A student, and he was stopped twice last year in Atlanta only because he was black, kind of like uh, Jewish people getting beaten up in Brooklyn. They get beat up only because they're wearing a yarmulke, nothing else. Same thing. Great kid, my nephew, stopped twice because he's black. And I can't make an argument for that. I, uh, I can. I just talked about it, right? Percentages, amount of crime, that particular community. But certainly if you're my nephew, you don't want to hear that. You're a good kid, an innocent kid, and you don't want to hear it. So I get it's It's a very, I guess what I'm trying to get at, Bruce, is it's really not quote-unquote black and white. It's, it's a very difficult situation for a lot of the folks involved. Yeah, yeah, but I think what I think what we need to do, I think what you hear people saying is that we need to train, and they're talking about reform. And train is not a bad thing, right? Part of training, whether you're a lawyer or anything, is to make you better. And I think if we're constantly seeing this sort of behavior, we have to take notice and pause for a minute and find out how we can correct the issue. Because oftentimes when we talk about there are a lot of great police officers, don't get me wrong, but there are some who are not as great. Very few. And I think when Very you few. start looking at, but when you start looking at the victim of police crime or brutality or abuse, oftentimes, the majority of the times, they're people of color. And they're, not all, and they're not all guilty. No, I understand that, but I explain why that may be the case. And I also have to tell you, Bruce, if you want to be fair about this, George Floyd was all jacked up on drugs, but that cop killed him, and I'm glad that cop goes away forever. Tyree Nichols killed by black officers doesn't have the same impact. But a lot of these other stories where people are crying in the streets about what happened to those, those victims, if you want to call them that, they did have guns. They did not comply. I mean, it's really pretty simple. If, even Michael Brown, if you comply, odds are you're not going to die. So it's easy to talk about police reform. What about explaining to the young kids, if a cop stops you, shut up. Well, I think they do, right? And I did that as an attorney. I know my rights. And I got arrested after closing a $100 million deal. I got arrested when I was one of the top entertainment attorneys in the industry, right? The second time, right? Yeah. So just parking. And allegedly, they're saying my, the reason for the stop was that my car tent was too dark. That's not Those right are just the sort of tools that police officers typically use to stop you. Right. So, so I'm looking at my own personal experience as someone who didn't commit any of the time, any of the crimes that they accused me of, right? Yeah. Um, but I was arrested, and I'm working for the top five company in the world, closing deals that the majority of people never get the opportunity to close. That's true. Or the compensation of those deals. Yeah. No. Um, so, so why am I arrested? And my colleagues and I talk about it all the time. I can close those deals and walk out the office and they realize I'm equally respected as they are in the office. But we talk about it. He said, Bruce, when you leave, you're a black man in America. When I leave, I'm privileged. So we live two different lives when we leave the office. 
I don't like the word privilege, but that's fine. If you want to tell me there is a difference between uh, – because the truth is there's many more white people in this country, Bruce. I get it. But many more whites, many more, are beaten by cops, shot by cops. And I understand, again, percentage of people, but it's not exclusively black people. So I think privilege is another dangerous word. You want to tell me that black people are treated differently than white people? I'll give you that. I'm not, I'm not blind. I'm not stupid. But when you start to use the word privileged, then you really start to talk about kind of a class system. And to me, that's a gross exaggeration. That's me. Right. No, I get it. But what you say, Sid, that one of the things I say, and which is why I want to inspire people in my book, and it's people who are from the urban areas, people who are from rural areas, right? Because I do realize you have Caucasian people in middle America rural who don't really have the tools that's necessary to be successful. So what I'm trying to do is not try to separate people. I'm trying to let's deal with what the issue is and what the issues are. Right. And I'm trying to uplift people who are women. I'm trying to uplift immigrants. I'm trying to uplift people from poor part of the LGBTQ plus community. I'm trying to uplift, like I said earlier, is people in both rural and urban America yeah. to reach their potential. And the reason why, and all of us have blockers, and we have to acknowledge that. And we all have to come together, and hopefully we can, what I can do is give people proximity, and they have empathy, and we all work together to create a level playing field for everyone. No, it's not quite there right now. No, we're not there. If you get a kid, yeah. you get a kid from wherever you are, say Brownsville Projects, and you place them in, you're from New York, let's say Garden City or Scarsdale, that kid would do well. And if you take a newborn kid from one of those affluent communities and put him into an urban community like Brownsville, he wouldn't do well. And you have to ask yourself why. That's it's fair. about the environment. It's yeah. about access to resources that help people reach their potential. And I think that's the issue, right? That's fair. No, that's fair. Things, to be honest with you, is Microsoft is a company that really tried to help level the playing field. And one of the things I did a few weeks ago, I went to Brownsville, and it's all about broadband. And people are saying now, God, we need to give everyone broadband as a result of the virus. And I'm like, well, we all knew that. People in urban America, people in rural America need broadband because it's the gateway to one. Education is the gateway to health, right, because we've got telehealth now. It's the gateway to training. People get trained on the Internet. It's the gateway to looking for jobs. So everyone doesn't have broadband. And in Brooklyn, for instance, 40% of the people do not have broadband. And it's not the people who are fluent. And people in rural and middle America don't have access to broadband. We need to get it to them, too. Yep. So it's all about yep. what I'm trying to do is saying, let's build a country, a world, where everyone starts out on the first yard line, not some people at the 50 and others at the 4. Let's give everyone the access to resources that they need to reach their potential so they can reach their greatness. Well, I couldn't That's agree what more. What, what you just said, Bruce, I couldn't agree more. I also think you're the perfect voice for it. Again, growing up when you did, where you did, going to law school, Georgetown, now working at Microsoft. You're a, you're a very inspirational figure, very inspirational. So I think you're the, the perfect voice because I do agree that there are uh, communities and neighborhoods and folks that don't have the same uh, advantages that others do. I'm not going to argue that because that's just not being fair. I do, but I would say this on the way out. While we talk about the crimes committed against African-Americans by cops, by white cops, and I said this to Janae earlier, what I very rarely hear African-American people talk about is the overwhelming, overwhelming amount of crime 
committed against black people is by black people. See, that's the inconvenient truth. Much easier to talk about white people and cops. It's minuscule, minuscule compared to the black-on-black crime. When is that conversation going to really take place? Right. I think what we should focus on is crime against anyone, by anyone, is bad, right? And, And I think that we should not try to deflect the fact that there is crime committed by whites against blacks by saying blacks are committing crime against blacks. We need to deal with that. You're absolutely right. But we need to deal with the other part of it as well. So I think let's not try to separate the issue. Let's try to come together and deal with the problem of just crime being committed against innocent people. I like that, too. Carve it out and deal with it. Why is that that, that white on black crime and why is that black on black crime? Let's talk about that, but let's not use it to separate us. I like it. Bruce, uh, this book, Never Far From Home, is, uh, is a great book. My journey from Brooklyn to law school to Microsoft. You really are an incredibly impressive individual. I wish you nothing but success with the book. Uh, I'd like you to keep coming back on this program and keep talking. God bless you, and we'll talk again very soon. Great stuff, Bruce. Thank you. And God bless you. Thank you. Take care. There he is, folks. Bruce Jackson, once again, the book is Never Far From Home.